If you would, please come on in, have a seat, and we can get started this morning. We want to welcome everyone to our service here at the Boonville Church of Christ. Thank you for being here. If you would, at this time, please take the friendship register from the pew and pass it down the aisle so we can have a record of everyone's attendance this morning. This morning we are here to worship the Lord. Let's begin our time together in prayer as we enter into our worship service. Our Father, we are truly thankful to you for all of the many blessings that you bestow upon us as individuals and as a congregation. We pray that you'll be with us during this time of service. We're thankful that Brother Ken has returned back to us and we pray that the message that he has for us today will be one that's encouraging and uplifting and helping us to be stronger and be more faithful to you. Be with us during this time. Help us to, to worship you in a manner that's pleasing to you. These things we ask through Jesus' name. Amen. First song this morning, number 123. <clears throat> Let's all sing together. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are there for me.
heart for all this morning to give thanks for this day and all the blessings without number that you've given us. And we pray mostly, Father, especially for Christ our Savior. He died on the cross that we might have the hope of salvation. And we give thanks, Father, for our elders as they watch over the congregation here. We pray that you will continue to bless them and be with them and help them with your guidance. We pray for the deacons as we labor for the congregation here. We pray for our ministers as they work among us to deliver us the gospel to us. We pray for our song leaders, our teachers, and for all, Father, who have part in the worship service here. We especially give thanks, Father, for Brother Ken's safe return, and we pray that much good has come of his efforts in his gospel mission. We pray for missionaries throughout the world that the message they deliver might be received with gladness. And we pray, Father, for those less fortunate than we. We know, Father, that there are many who have lost everything due to, to uh, fires and floods, to storms, and even to wars, Father. We pray that those who have lost loved ones can be confident with your word. We pray that you'll be with the sick and disabled, Father, especially those of this number, that they must soon be healed. We pray that the hunger will be fed, that the homeless will be sheltered. And we pray, Father, that those who are weak in spirit might be lifted up by what we do here today. And we pray for those seeking righteousness that they will find in your word. We pray, Father, for our forgiveness, Father, and we are sinners. And we repent of our sins, Father. And we pray, Father, that you will hold them against us no more. And Father, we know that all the praise we can give is due to you, Father. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We pray, Father, that you are with us now throughout the continuous in this service and throughout the walks of our life. And in the end, we might be found faithful to you. For us in Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.
from 1 John chapter 4 verses 19. We love because he first loved us. Good morning everyone. Oh, well I'm really glad to be back here. I got back on Friday at 9 p.m. So yesterday I recuperated from my trip and here I am, fired up, ready to go. Uh, you may wonder, where in the world is Saipan? Well, I left the house here and drove two hours in the car to Huntsville. Flew from Huntsville to Atlanta, which is a little bit less than an hour. Had a short little layover there. Flew from Atlanta to Honolulu, which was a 10-hour flight. Had an overnight stay in Honolulu, then flew eight hours to Guam, had an overnight stay in Guam, flew one hour to Saipan. Spent all my time doing my work and teaching the book of Galatians, the Pacific Islands Bible College. Had a wonderful time with the brethren, then got back on a plane, flew for an hour back to Guam, had an overnight in Guam, flew to Guam, eight hours back to Honolulu. Honolulu to Los Angeles this time, which is only a five-hour flight. Short little layover in L.A., then flew the four hours back to Atlanta, stayed there for about three hours, then flew another hour or so back to Huntsville, drove two hours back to the house. Here I am. Feel great? <laughs> Someone asked, how are you? I said, well, my body made it back just fine. I'm still waiting on the rest of it, but... I think I have enough to carry on today. I look forward to sharing with you whenever that day comes of this beautiful work that we're doing together in so many places. And isn't it exciting? It was just a few months ago that we had some folks going to Guyana. Now we've gone to Saipan. Now we've got D in Costa Rica. We are carrying God's word literally to the farthest places in the world. In fact, I thought you might think this was interesting because I, I, I kind of joke that my body's here, but the rest hasn't quite arrived yet. And the reason why is, for instance, right now it is 944 on Sunday here. In Saipan, it's 144 a.m. on Monday. So it's a little different. I thank you for praying for me that I could go and then get back here. I thank you for the support that you gave my wife who nearly had a nervous breakdown. I appreciate those who filled in for me, for Doug speaking on these Sundays and doing a great job and appreciate um, Stephen filling in for me on Wednesday night and teaching the Bible class who also uh, according to all reports, did a fabulous job. 
Now, Steve and, and Lisa are not here this morning because Lisa has had some kind of medical issue and had to go to the hospital for a checkup. I think she's okay and they've returned home, but they're not able to be here this morning, but he looks forward to being back here tonight. And then also, got, got the word the other day that Linda Garrett uh, has been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I'll just tell you that when I heard that, and, and I know some of you have experienced and gone through that and are perhaps in recovery from it, but you know, it wasn't, but just a few weeks ago, it seems like that Anita herself had a scare about that. And of course we were, you know, undone and just praying constantly and so concerned. And then we got the relief that uh, she was negative. So I kind of put myself in Joe and Linda's shoes right now, because I'm sure that they felt the same way. You know, you're anxious about your test results. And then the result comes back that you really didn't want to hear. So on Thursday, they're going to Vanderbilt to get an assessment. And I just, Joe and Linda, I want y'all to know how much we love and appreciate you. And we are praying for you and we want to be of any kind of support that is possible. Isn't that true church? Uh, we're in this with you. Okay. We're going to pray for Lisa and for Linda. And then I want to share with you something about just how God loves us. He first loved us. He initiated it. Let's pray. And then I want to share those things with you. Our father in heaven, Thank you for the blessing of this first day of the week, this opportunity to be together as a church family, to worship you in spirit and in truth. It's wonderful to greet one another in anticipation of this time that we join our hearts and our souls together in praise and glorification of you. But we learn things about one another and that is a part of the mix of our, our joy and our celebration. And despite the things that happen to us, sometimes very negative things, we still rejoice because we serve Almighty God uh, that we can call Father. And so we come to you, Father, as your children, so dependent on you. And we, this morning, ask of you several things. In some ways, it's kind of a, a shameful thing to be so needy. And yet, we just, we're just humbling ourselves, Lord, and recognizing that without you, we're nothing. We pray first, Father, for those who are sick, and especially these two that I mentioned this morning, Pray that Lisa's situation is resolved, that she can be easily treated and back to normal and feel better. And we thank you that she got swift and good care. And Father, we also pray 
your blessings on Linda as she's received this news about her health and now is seeking a remedy. We pray, Father, that as she's been directed to Vanderbilt, that they'll be able to assess her situation and prescribe a course of treatment that is going to result in healing for her. I pray for her. I pray for Joe and their family. And I pray for us too, Lord, because uh, we're all in it together. I pray that we'll be a, a great support to them. And Father, as all of us will be continually in your presence on her behalf, we just pray, Father, that you'll be, be patient with us because uh, we believe in you. We believe in your power and your strength and our just continual petitions before you underline the fact that we trust you so much and we want these things ever before you because we know you love us and you respond to our request. I pray, Lord, also that you'll be with Dee as she's on her trip and keep her safe and as she nears the conclusion of that trip, we pray that you'll give her a safe return back to us, to her rightful place here. Be with us, Lord, now as we all think together about how you love us first. About how despite the fact that we've come to this relationship late because of our sin, that even in that, you love us so much unconditionally that you did everything within your power to save us. And we're so grateful. Lord, please help me to communicate that in a very easy and understandable way. And please bless those who hear these words today that they will know that they are loved. Help us never to have trouble believing that it's true that you love us. And please take Satan out of the equation to deceive us into thinking that you don't. Please, Lord, plant your words firmly on our hearts. And I pray if we need to, that we'll respond in such a way that demonstrates our understanding of your presence in our lives and trusting in the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever really been hungry. I mean, the kind of hunger where your stomach is just gnawing within you. Maybe, maybe you're experiencing that now. I know a lot of people start their diet in January. You know, you put it off all through December thinking, I'm going to get, boy, January 1st comes. I'm going to start that diet. And maybe you go overboard to begin with. You cut out a bunch of stuff. And it isn't but a few days into that that, boy, you start feeling it. It hurts. And you dream of all of these things that you can justify eating. And then you start eating. It's hard to stop. You have been so hungry. Maybe... I don't know, you caught the flu and you were sick for a few days and the sickness itself was turmoil. But now that you're better and your body's starting to heal, boy, the hunger 
It seems like the desire for food is insatiable. You can't think of anything else. Maybe you had put off that procedure that you had to have, maybe at a clinic or even at the hospital. And in preparation for the procedure, they said, now, don't eat or drink anything after midnight. Now, some of you, you might have had that early, but just the thought that you were not allowed to eat. All of a sudden now, you are starving to death. And as soon as you can get out of there and get something to eat, you want to satisfy that desire. That desire for food, that hunger within us just burns. It's like it overtakes all of our thinking, our whole being. The same can be true in terms of thirst. If you ever become very parched, maybe you've been working outside in the heat, or you've gone a long time without drinking any supplements, Water. You begin to thirst and nothing will satisfy it. You've got to have that liquid. It is just painful. It's powerfully debilitating. And you can't think of anything else. Those needs are powerful and dramatic and difficult within us until they are satisfied. And yet, there is within all of us, I'm going to say it's, most likely because of the fact that we were created in the image of God, made after his likeness. That there is something that is within us, a yearning that can be just as powerful and seemingly insatiable as hunger and thirst. And that is, that is the desire that we have for love. We may disguise it. We may try to be tough and act like it doesn't matter to us. But there are really two different aspects to love that become very important to us. And if they're not satisfied, become, in effect, debilitating. Both the desire to love and the desire to be loved. All of us in regard to the desire to be loved don't just want somebody in our lives. We want somebody who will extend to us unconditional love. The kind of love that exists regardless of the wrong things that we have done, regardless of the faults that exist in our lives, Regardless of the tumultuous life that we have lived up until this point, the shameful things, we just want to know that there is somebody who loves us in spite of all of the things that may be negative about us. We want a kind of love that's without any expectation and unconditional, no strings attached sort of love. Now, as much as you and I may desire that unconditional love from, I don't know, parents, we want that unconditional love maybe from a spouse or a close friend. There is no love that is sought after that is any more satisfying 
and any more needful as a creature of God than that unconditional expression of love that comes from God himself. Because if I can experience that, then I learn something about myself. I learn where it is that I came from and I learn where it is that I am going. Unfortunately though, there are many people who have trouble believing in the love of God. And I'm wondering why that's true. I want to sing a song with you. Jesus loves me. I don't have to give you the song number because you have sung that song probably since you were a little child. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably heard that song sung somewhere or you heard the tune. It's expressed in every language. It's probably the most popular song that's sung within the Christian faith. What I want us to do is not rush through it like we were singing it with children, as though it was just, well, what do we sing with children? Oh, I know, Jesus loves me. Let's sing it slowly and deliberately. We'll just sing that very first verse. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Okay, so Jesus loves me. I know that's true according to the song because the Bible tells me so. And maybe the writer of this song was thinking, I don't know, maybe kind of comparable, maybe the most famous of scriptures in the Bible, John three sixteen. Maybe that was it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, that certainly expresses that Jesus loves me, that God loves me. And I, I see in this song, it suggests that it's directed toward children who are weak and he is strong. But you know who those children are. He's not really talking about infants that are weak and we rely on his physical strength. He's really talking about us. I am weak and he is strong. But wait a minute now. What is it that's making me weak? Is it weakness of character? Am I spiritually weak? You know the story. In fact, John 3, 16 is that story, right? I'm weak because of my sin. 
Jesus is strong. Jesus can forgive me of my sin. So the expression of God in sending Jesus to die for me, that expression of love is demonstrated in the sacrifice of Jesus. I'm weak in my sin. I can have my sin forgiven because of the strength of Jesus' sacrifice. An idea like that. So why is it a lot of people have some trouble believing that that is true. I'm going to use myself as an example because I know how my home life was. Everybody's is going to be a little bit different as you reflect on it, but I really would like it if you could in your mind, if I'm describing what I'm going through, that maybe you can relate to it in some way. And maybe you did not have two parents as I did, Maybe you had only one parent, or maybe you were raised by grandparents, or maybe you weren't raised even by any family members. Maybe someone else came in and became a parent figure for you. But however it is, I hope that you can relate a little bit to what I want to express to you. I'm pretty confident that like my parents, most parents who have the welfare of their children at heart, have the desire to give that unconditional love to their children. And think about it. Dad goes to work. And why does he work? He goes to work to make money to provide for his family. So in that sense, as a child in that family, I could know that I was loved unconditionally. In other words, I didn't have to make an application to be a part of this family and receive the benefits of my father going to work. I received unconditional love. No, no matter what I did, I was still going to be in this family. Same with my mother. My mother prepared meals. She cleaned up my room. She looked after the care. When I got sick, she took me to the doctor. She was very instrumental in doing Bible studies with her children and just caring for us. And I felt in that way, unconditional love, absolutely. I knew the entire time that I was being brought up in my home that my parents loved me. But here's something. As much as I know there was unconditional love in the home, I know also that there was quite a bit of conditional love. Now, here's my experience. Hey, Kenny, did you brush your teeth? Did you comb your hair? Did you do your homework? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Good boy. Hey, Kenny. Did you get in trouble at school? Did you have to go to the principal's office? Did you forget to take out the trash? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Bad boy. 
You know, it's possible, even though there's unconditional love in the home, that with enough of that kind of conditional love on display, eventually you get the idea that when you please people, you are loved. When you don't please people, you are not loved. So it's only been a few weeks since we shut down the Christmas music at my house. Here's what we typically do. Or, I don't know, I say we. Here's what I do. <laughs> and then it becomes we. <laughs> so the day after Halloween, November the 1st, I start playing Christmas music. And I play Christmas music all through the entire month of November and the entire month of December. Two solid months of Christmas music. And there is a song in that that I want to share with you. And maybe you've heard this song. I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Mommy and Daddy are mad. I'm getting nothing for Christmas Cause I ain't been nothing but bad Did you hear that? Mommy and Daddy are mad They're mad because I ain't done nothing but bad I've been a bad person. And mommy and daddy are mad about it. And I'm not getting anything for Christmas. You ever thought about the song that way? That is a sad song. It is a sad reflection on honestly what we all go through. Or at least if, as I have spilled my guts here today, what I went through. I know that I'm unconditionally loved. However, I know that there is also a conditional component to it. And if that conditional component has enough play in my life, if I hear that enough, you're bad, you're good. Based on my actions, then I start thinking that the kind of person that I am is really related to what I do. In other words, what I do determines the person that I am. So if I do enough bad stuff, I conclude it's not just the things that I did. I'm a bad person. There's something wrong with me. And I may conclude I'm unlovable. Now, if I conclude that, if I, if I say, you know, I, I look at my life and the piling up of all those bad boys that have occurred, I've concluded, I've come to the place in my life where I am so soiled by my actions that there's no redeeming quality in me. I am unlovable. And so here's what we do. We say, well, okay, that's not good. And I got a whole life to live here. So what I will do is I will pretend everything's okay. I'll just be involved in a cover-up. I'll act like everything's okay with me. While deep down, though, 
I'm constantly beating myself up or doubting myself. If you've ever come to the place where you feel that sense of being unlovable, it's because you've been fed so much conditional love throughout your life that you have been convinced that your actions have now resulted in the character that you are. Now that brings us to the love of God. Ken, why is it that there are some people who have trouble believing that God loves them? There are people like that, and I don't mean to be presumptuous, but I'm just going to say it. Maybe you're one of them. Who aren't so sure that God loves them no matter what good things they do because they know of all the baggage that they carry from the past. In fact, you may be wondering, how could God love me with the record that I have? Listen, if that's how you feel today, I've got really good news for you. That's not true. God is not withholding his unconditional love from anybody, regardless of the sin that they commit. In fact, what God wants to do is to forgive you of that sin so that he can be in full fellowship with you. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you can be loosed from the action, then you can have access to that incredible love that God showers on everybody. I want you to know today that God loves you. I wanted to start by describing it using, I'm going to call them God pictures because I don't really know how else to describe them. Some people will talk about metaphors in scripture or analogies and things like that. I tend, when I look at scripture, I, I look at the picture of it. And I see a lot of these same pictures and patterns used over and over by God to express to us just how much he loves us. And he doesn't talk in terms of, well, I love you to a degree. No, it is just a full throttle expression of his love of men and women. He is concerned about the problem that exists with sin, but God in his mind separates the sin itself from the sinner. I love the sinner. I hate the sin. Here's how it's expressed a few different ways. One is in God's picture of the shepherd and the sheep. Have you read about that in scripture? In John chapter 10, Jesus uses that picture to describe a glorious relationship with us. In verse 7, Jesus says, I'm the door for the sheep. You know, I'm the means of access for you. 
In verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. In other words, I, I care for you. If you back up one verse, John 10, verse 10, he says, the thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You hear that? Satan wants to come and steal every opportunity away from you for your salvation, for your enjoyment of being showered with the love of God. Satan wants to take that from you. Jesus said, I have come to give it to you and to protect you in it. And that's no better described than later in this chapter, verses 27 and following. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life. Jesus says that no one is able to take them away. In fact, in fact, he says no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I know the sheep, the sheep know me. I know you, Jesus says, you're mine. Or Psalm 23, right? I hear that a lot expressed like during a funeral. And while that is comforting, I really think that's an expression for the living. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. While the emphasis is on all the great things of God, isn't it great to be a sheep? <laughs> isn't it great to be under the care of such a, well, let's just say it, a loving shepherd? An unconditional love that accompanies us even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Kind of love that follows us all the days of our lives. That's a beautiful picture that God paints in scripture about his love for us. Another way that it's described is the husband and the wife. Ephesians chapter 5 Beginning at verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are all members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The bride of Christ, that's you and me. 
And Christ loves the church so much that he gave himself for her so that he could make her clean, make her white, free from her sin. That is God extending himself through Jesus, his unconditional love, even for sinners like you and me. There's also that close relation that's described of the father and the son. Most often in that we think of God the father and God the son, but God's extended that relationship to us too. In Romans chapter eight, beginning at verse 14, it says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not to be forgotten. So here's Jesus in this relationship, dying, shedding his blood so that our sins could be washed away and we might be able to call on the Father. And not just to call as God the Father, but using the word Abba, which is a term of endearment, like a child calling out to their father. And he says, you know, even, I get the sense even when, Maybe I doubt that or I feel unworthy. He said, it is the spirit who is testifying to that fact. God is backing that up. So as much as I see the special relationships between a shepherd and the sheep or the husband and the wife or the father and the son, I know that in God's pictures, that by his Incredible love includes you and me. God's unconditional love. God is the God of unconditional love. What are some experiences that we might have that testify to that fact? Well, one is the blessings that we have as children of God. In James chapter one and verse 17, it says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom is no variation or shadow of turning. Part of the expression of that ideal is not just that God is a great giver of gifts, but that God doesn't turn back on the promises that he makes relative to those expressions of gifts. God doesn't turn his back. He doesn't create a shadow of turning. I think about Jesus as he is in the midst of his Sermon on the Mount and he expresses this idea as he is squashing a misconception. It's found in Matthew chapter five, beginning at verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you should be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Of course, the context here is love. What is the expression of the perfect love of God? He says, well, it's like this. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The sun rises on the evil and on the good. God treats everybody the same. He has an unconditional love for people, whoever those people are. That love of God was so great that he sent his son to die for us while we were still participating in sin. And so Jesus can say, look, you can love your enemy. And the reason why is because God loves his enemies. In fact, God loves his enemies so much that we can describe it in a perfect way. In other words, God loves even when we don't love him back. He is still going to be faithful to love us. I'm confident of the blessings of God because God extends them to us no matter who we are. I'm also confident in the fact that I can experience God's love as I'm trying to give it unconditionally because, well, I love him because he first loved me. So I'm learning my love from him. I'll see it as I'm loving you. And then I'm also going to see it as his children, as you are loving me. I'm going to experience the love of God. John 13, verses 34 and 35, right? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. When we express love to one another, we are demonstrating the love of God. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long in its kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there's knowledge, it will vanish away for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. It is love that transcends all time. It is love that does that because after all, 
1 John 4, verse 8, God is love. And every expression of that unconditional love is just another demonstration of God living among us. I can see that unconditional love of God when I see the gospel carried to the whole world. Again, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I know the unconditional love of God when I experience it at the cross. Romans chapter five, verses six, seven, and eight. You know, that's describing an event, but it also describes our event. It describes the original circumstance of men being in sin and Jesus dying, even while they're sinning around him. But it is also contemporary even today as men sin and the blood of Christ remains available to wash those sins away. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I tend to think that the unconditional love of God is a foundational thing. It ought to be. It is a platform from which you and I can extend unconditional love to others. And it's a beautiful, wonderful experience to receive it too. But one other thing that that unconditional love of God does is it reminds us of our value. I am not, and you are not, your sin. You may have committed sin, but your sin does not define you. So don't let it define you. Respond to the unconditional love of God. If you're a child of God and you're hiding some sin, well, why would you do that? Just to keep a good face on it? Repent of that. Enjoy forgiveness as a benefit of that love. And if you're not a child of God today, I don't know what has kept you from obeying the gospel. It may very well be that you didn't feel worthy or somehow or other you feel unlovable. Today, please know that God has unconditional love for you and he will wash your sins away in the blood of Jesus. So if you believe he's the son of God and you will repent of your sins Confess your faith. Today you can be buried in water, have those sins washed away. You'll be enjoying the incredible, unconditional love of God manifested in the sacrifice of Jesus, the shedding of his blood to wash your sins away. If there's anybody who needs to respond to God's unconditional love today, then why don't you come forward while we stand together and sing. Bye.
Supper number 
Ambrosius will take you, bring it to you. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he asked us to remember two things. He asked us to remember him, and then he went into what those two emblems of the supper meant. So we will read an account of the end of his life and the one way that he gave his body and the blood that he shed for us. We'll begin with the bread. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the headquarters and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet military robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed a reed in his right hand. And they knelt before him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spit on him, took the reed, and kept hitting him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his clothes on, and led him to crucify him. As they were going out, they found a Syrian man named Simon. They forced this man to carry his cross. When they came to the place called Golgotha, which means skull place, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. After crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put up the charge against him and writing, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for you and all that you've given us, Lord. We remember your son and the sacrifice that he was willing to give to us, to give us a chance to enter into your kingdom, Heavenly Father. We pray that you will bless this bread, which represents Jesus' body on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll continue on. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately one ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, fixed it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. But the rest said, Let's just see if Elijah comes to save him. Jesus shouted again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was split in top, split in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks split. The tombs were also opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen over sleep were raised, and they came out. And the tombs after his resurrection entered the Holy Spirit and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake, the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, this man really was God's son. Let's bless the fruit of the vine. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful so much for the blood that was shed, the blood that cleanses us of our sins, Heavenly Father. Lord, we are thankful for your son and the sacrifice that was made. And we pray that everyone here takes this in a pleasing manner to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's bless the offering. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for all the things that you have given us, Lord. Lord, we are a people blessed beyond means. Lord, we pray that you will find it in each one of our hearts, Heavenly Father, to give back a portion of what you've already given to us, Lord, to better your kingdom. We pray that you will bless these funds and the works of this church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning again. I'm being told we had about 285 present this morning with us. So we're so glad that you're here. And of course, as we've already stated, if you're a visitor, please uh, stick around, let us greet you and, and get to meet you. And we're so thankful that you uh, chose to be with us here this, this morning. We have uh, several uh, that I hope you'll remember that are sick or that need our prayers. We have a couple that have surgeries or procedures going on this week, so, so make sure you take your bulletin and, and, and remember those individuals and let's minister to them. I have a list of announcements. Some of them are on the, the bulletin and some of them are not, so I'll try to call that out. Uh, one that's not on the bulletin is that the Golden Circle will be going to the world or going to world evangelism in Winona this Friday so the bus will leave about 8 a.m. So uh, there's a, a list in the foyer if you don't mind signing that so we can plan accordingly. A few of them that are in that we wanna make sure you're reminded of is right after this, Salt Team 4 will meet uh, for lunch and fellowship. Uh, there's a reserved room at Catfish Country and there's some details in the bulletin for that. So if you're in Salt Team 4, they, they hope that you will attend. The Golden Circle has a breakfast tomorrow morning at the pit stop and the bus will leave the annex at 8.30. So be reminded of that. We have a baby shower today that we hope you'll attend uh, for Anna Catherine Bruce. Um, of course, that's Katie and Drew's uh, new arrival. Um, so that's today at 1.30 to 3 o'clock in the TAC. Hope you'll make plans to attend and support uh, them. Another big announcement is tonight, we are hosting the area-wide youth service this evening at five o'clock. 
Um, so please see Jordan if you can help um, in the annex. Please see him. Of course, we'll have a lot of people here tonight. There will be no kids sing tonight, uh, but I hope you'll come back, of course, and support. Um, Stephen will be delivering the message, but we have a lot of our young men doing other parts of the worship. So please come back tonight and support our youth. And of course, let's worship God together. If you're an elder or staff meeting, Brent needs to see you in front of the auditorium immediately following the services this morning. So please uh, be mindful of that. There's a lot of last leaders events and folks it's here and there's a lot happening. I'm so thankful for this congregation and the many people who support our, our young people and, and help them serve. But um, Bible Bowl will not meet today. However, uh, those who plan to participate in speech, uh, please meet in the Little Chapel Wednesday night. Bring a parent and Storyline will be meeting next morning or next Sunday morning. Um, so uh, just a few things there that, that we want to make sure I remind you of. And then, of course, fees are starting to be due. So let's uh, be ready to pay at least um, part of your fees to the church. And we'll be reminding you of that. There's a lot of announcements, so I do apologize, uh, but I'm wanting to make sure I get these out to everyone who might not have a bulletin or may be watching online. Um, if you don't mind, let's now go to God in prayer as we close. And if I missed anything, please, please let us know and we'll make sure we get it out in our bulletin this week. Bow your heads, please. Dear Heavenly Father, as we close our time together here, we want to thank you so much for how much you love us. And Father, never let us forget that and let us keep it on our hearts and let it be a motivating factor as well to love you and to serve you. But Father, we're so thankful that even how we bring ourselves to you, you love us unconditionally. And Father, as we leave this place, there's so many in our number that we need to be lifting up and we do that now. We ask you to be with Linda Garrett, with Eddie Mooney, with Jimmy Timms, and with so many others that have treatments or visits with the doctors this week or surgeries. And, and Father, I know I didn't list them all, but this congregation is throwing them up to you. And, and of course, our prayers that You'll be with them as only you can, but you'll help us serve them and just and do what we need to as brothers and sisters in Christ. We love you so much, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.